I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Galatians, chapter 2. Paul's letter to the churches in the region of Galatia, starting today in verse 15. Our sermon series we've been, we've been in this summer is called The Truth of the Gospel, because that's what was at stake in Galatia. The Apostle Paul has written what we called a, a tornado warning. Remember that from the first sermon? Right? Paul has broken the glass and he's pulled the alarm. Ding, 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 ding. Because these churches in the region of Galatia were on the brink of abandoning the truth of the gospel of grace. False teachers had snuck into the churches that Paul had planted on his missionary journeys and they had sowed false teaching, a false gospel, another gospel, which is really no gospel at all. And and they've discredited Paul as a faulty apostle, preaching a defective, a derivative and defective gospel, derivative of Jerusalem's apostles, And defective because it doesn't say enough about the law of Moses. So Paul was shocked to find out that these churches had been entertaining the ideas of these false teachers. So he picks up his pen and he writes to them the epistle to the Galatians. And in that epistle, Paul uses some of the strongest language of all of his letters. Because he was concerned that these churches he cared so much about might flounder and sink into heresy and ruin. So for the last two chapters, Paul has been setting the record straight on where he got his gospel. Where did he get his gospel? Peter, James, and John? Where did he get his gospel? A revelation of Jesus Christ. He got it directly from our Savior Himself. Remember, Paul wasn't looking for the Gospel. But Jesus came looking for him. And even though he didn't get his Gospel from the apostles based in Jerusalem, he had the exact same Gospel as the apostles based in Jerusalem. Because they got it from Jesus too. Peter, James, John, and Paul all had the exact same Gospel. Which made it kind of awkward when the Apostle Peter came up to Antioch and acted inconsistently with the truth of the Gospel. That's what we looked at last week, you remember? Peter had come up to Antioch, and at first he lived up to his theological convictions, what he could eat as a Christian and who he could eat with as fellow Christians, equal in the Gospel. And then certain men from James came up, and Peter all of a sudden chickened out. Peter stopped eating with the Gentile Christians, which sent the message that only those who were Jews were truly acceptable as Christians. Now, Peter didn't say that in so many words, but that was the message his behavior was clearly conveying. So the Apostle Paul opposed him to his face. Showdown of the Apostles in Antioch. He called Peter out in public. Do you remember this from last week? He said that Peter was not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. In other words, he was a hypocrite. 
Yes, one apostle calling another apostle a hypocrite in public. Verse 14. You are a Jew, Pete. Yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. And that's okay because of your freedom in Christ. But how is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? To become Jews, in essence. Peter, that's not right. Now, he wasn't saying that Peter was teaching a false gospel with his mouth. But you could get the wrong idea of what the truth of the gospel was by how Peter was acting. Peter's life was sending a message that you have to take on the law of Moses to be a good Christian. Is that how it works? Last week, we read through verses 15 and 16, but we had run out of time to really dive into them. So it's fitting that we start with them today. We're going to back up to verse 15. This section, 15 to 21 of chapter 2, is really the heart of the letter, or at least it gets at the heart of the letter. Paul has finally got to what he really wants to say to the Galatians. He's finishing up this history his personal history, that brings him to this point and is transitioning into the theology that that he desperately wants the Galatians to get. Now, I'm not sure where the report of what he said to Peter ends and where his further reflections begin, but it doesn't really matter. By chapter 3, he's speaking directly to the Galatians and directly addressing their folly. But here, in these verses, he's making his central point and waxing eloquent on what it means to be united to Jesus Christ. Let me read it to you. And then we'll pray. And then we'll bask in it for a little bit today. Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 through 21. We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ, and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. If, while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I'm a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Would you pray with me? What a terrible thought. Lord, that Jesus Christ died for nothing? That what He did was a waste? Frivolous? Extra? unnecessary, in vain, may it never be. Lord, help us to see why Jesus' death was called for and what it does for us today. 
Lord, get us inside of this text. And get this passage of Scripture inside of us. We pray it in the name of the Son of God who loved us and gave himself up for us. May he get all the glory. Amen. For the last 25 years, Galatians 2.20 has been one of my favorite Bible verses. And I'm excited that it is now our new hide the word verse to learn together. We all read it with, with Cody at the beginning of the service. Let's say it together again. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I think Anna Warner was thinking of this passage when she wrote, Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Where does the Bible tell you that Jesus loves you? Well, lots of places, but especially Galatians 2.20. I love Galatians 2.20. When I was a student at Moody Bible Institute, we had to memorize this verse for one of our classes. And, and as I memorized it, it jumped off the pages at me and grabbed my heart. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. There's this mysterious connection between Jesus and me. He has so identified with me and I have so identified with Him enough so that there is something about me that no longer lives. And Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, lives in me. In me. There there is still a sense in which I do live, but it is by faith. The life I live in the body, this, this flesh, the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. That's our title for today. I live by faith in the Son of God. Galatians 2.20 Back at Moody Bible Institute, there was another student Named Bob Drews. Do you remember Bob Drews? Bob, he was one of those guys that had one of those voices that, you know, if he sang, everybody just stopped and listened. And he would sing Galatians 2.20 at performances of the drama team I was a member of. And whenever I read this verse, I hear Bob Drews singing it. And I mean whenever I read this verse. Like yesterday, as I'm preparing this sermon, there's Bob's voice. I am crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live. Jesus Christ now lives in me. I am crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live. Jesus Christ now lives in me. What a precious truth. But Galatians 2.20 doesn't exist out there on its own. It's not just up on a screen somewhere. It's not just a verse that flies around and then lands on people. It was written in a certain particular context, in a certain particular letter of Paul to the churches in Galatia. Paul says what he says in Galatians 2.20 as part of a bigger point that he is making, a more complex argument. 
and it is very complex. I have to admit this morning that the logic of a few of these verses, especially 17, 18, and 19, the logic of them escapes me. I've read and I've reread the commentaries, and I have this vague idea of what Paul is saying, but I'm not sure I can adequately explain them. No, I am sure. I cannot adequately explain them. It helped me that D.A. Carson, one of the leading evangelical Bible scholars of our day, and one of my former professors at Trinity, says that these are, quote, a bit hard to understand, end quote. I love that. If Carson doesn't understand it, I'm in good company. And Douglas Moo, another one of my old professors from Trinity, and an amazing Bible teacher himself, has in, in his commentary on this section, he has, he has end notes that have footnotes on them. Okay, So there's notes on the notes in his commentary explaining this section. So there's some complexity here and some ambiguity in the details. But at the exact same time, the main points are sublime and simple and obvious and precious. So I've got two points of application for us today, and they are very personal. I've put them personally because they were very personal for Paul and very personal for us. Point number one, I am justified by faith in Jesus Christ. And point number two, I am living by faith in Jesus Christ. If you get that, you've got the whole thing. Let me try to show you a bit of what I see here. I am justified by faith in Jesus Christ. Do you remember what it means to be justified? It means to be declared to be in the right. To be counted as righteous. To be recognized as right with God, possessing a right standing with God. Now how does that work? How does one be justified before God? Paul had a lot to say about that in the book of Romans, which we studied together here in church in 2014, 2015, the first part of 2016. The Greek word was dikaiao. You remember that? To be justified or to be counted righteous, to be made just, or I, say, I made up the word righteousified. How does one... Be justified before God. Well, one way is to be perfectly righteous every second of your life. Like Jesus Christ. When God the Father looked at Jesus Christ, His Son, He could easily say, that person there is justified. That person there is just. He is righteous. I can declare it. He is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. But unfortunately, there is no one else by nature in that category. Is there anyone here who has been perfectly righteous every second of your life? Raise your hand because I want to shake it. I might want to shake you. So if I can't be justified by possessing a perfect righteousness of my own, how can I ever be? You know, that was the question that plagued Martin Luther, a Bible-teaching monk in the 16th century. Luther knew that God was perfectly righteous, and he knew that he himself was not, and he feared 
the righteousness of God. And rightly so. Because without being justified, there will be no salvation, no eternal life, no enjoying the kingdom of God when it comes in its fullness. There will only be what we learned about in Sunday school this morning. The judgment of God. The justice of God. The just wrath of God. The full payment due for unrighteousness. You see why this letter to the Galatians is so important? You see the stakes? You see why Paul uses such strong language? Eternal life is on the line. How does a sinner become justified? Paul reminds Peter in verse 15 that they already know the answer to that question. It's the gospel of grace. The gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says, we know. We we both believe that already. Look at verse 15. We who are Jews by birth. That's Peter and Paul. Up in Antioch. Going head to head. We know. We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Our little pet name for those who don't have the privilege of being born a Jew. We know that a man is not justified by observing the law. Or literally, by works of the law. But by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law because by observing the law, no one will be justified. Now, did you just hear Paul repeat himself? (laughs) I think he did it like three times. He says the same thing three times in a row, almost the exact same words. It's that important. Paul is contrasting two different approaches to justification. One is right and one is wrong. Which one is wrong? Look at that last phrase. By observing the law, by works of the law, no one will be justified. What law is he talking about here? Well, the obvious one is the law of Moses, right? The law God gave to Moses back in the Old Testament. So the Ten Commandments, the sacrificial system, the dietary restrictions, the purification laws, the civil justice code, the feasts, all of that stuff, signified for newborn males by receiving the sign of circumcision in their flesh. On the eighth day, you, my son, are now under the law. So was the law a bad thing? You tell me, is the law a bad thing? No. No, it was a wonderful gift to the people of Israel. But doing the law, we might say, obeying the law, observing the law, was never intended to be the basis of anyone's justification. Verse 16, by observing the law, no one will be justified. That's not how it works. How does it work? Paul says that he and Peter, verse 16, have put their faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ. 
That's it? Just faith? Just, just trust? Just, just putting your faith in Jesus Christ? That's, that's it? Nothing else? Just, just putting yourself in His hands? Trusting in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done? That, that's it? That's all? And then I'm declared righteous before God? I'm declared righteous by God? Just, just by faith in Christ and Christ alone? Yes. Exactly. And that's what Martin Luther rediscovered when he was studying the book of Galatians in the 16th century and the book of Romans in the 16th century. And it turned the whole world upside down. Here's what we know. I am justified by faith in Jesus Christ. Are you sure? I mean, don't you think we have to add some works of the law in there? Don't I do something? Don't I add in some, some good works into the mix? Don't I, don't I clean up my act? Don't I become a good person first? Pastor Jonathan Edwards once said, No, you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. Because Paul said, by observing the law, no one will be justified. Well, that's certainly not what everybody thought. Paul's enemies had an answer for that and an accusation. They apparently said that this gospel of sheer grace makes Jesus a promoter of sin. Look at verse 17. If while we seek to be justified in Christ, he repeats himself again, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. Now, I'm not sure that I understand Paul's logic here. I am sure that I cannot explain it very well. There are multiple ways of construing it, of following where he goes. My best guess for today is that he's saying that if you trust Christ for justification and then you still end up sinning, which you still will, then whose fault is that? The circumcision folks say that it's all that grace being thrown around. If you tell people that all you have to do is believe in Jesus, then they're going to sin, sin, sin all the more so that grace may abound. Hey, come on over here. There's free sin. Come over to Jesus. He's given away grace so we can sin some more. It's okay. He's okay with us sinning. It's grace. Does that sound familiar? Not the way I say it, I know. But it sounds like what we read about in Romans chapter 6, right? Should we sin all the more so that grace may abound? What was Paul's answer to that? Not. Right? Meganoita in the Greek. Certainly not. Absolutely not. No way. That's not how it works. People who have genuinely come to believe in Jesus Christ do not go crazy with sinning. How about you? Take a little survey here. 
Do you want to sin a lot more now that you've trusted Christ? Yes, I know you want to sin sometimes. But do you want to sin more because Jesus has been gracious to you? No, I don't think so. And Paul says even more in verse 18, if I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I'm a lawbreaker. I'm not sure what that means either. But I think he's saying that if, if, if you put the law back in the place where these people wanted it to be, something we trust in, then it would only provide more judgment, more condemnation. The law only kills. It doesn't bring salvation. It shows you the sin that's there, but it doesn't save. Verse 19, For through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. And I really don't know what that one means. I think he's saying that the law kills and it killed Jesus. Because Jesus took on the curse of the law. We'll read more about that in the next chapter. And when he died fulfilling the law, you and I died to the law. We are no longer under the Mosaic law. And paradoxically, we can now live for God. So he's saying the opposite is actually true. I I am not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Do you see that? I can't explain it better. It's following that statement. That through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God that Paul gives us Galatians 2.20. Okay? Galatians 2.20 is not flying around out there. This is where it belongs. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. What a powerful way of saying it. When Jesus died, somehow we died with Him. Now, not physically, of course. We did not take the nails that we deserved. He did. But somehow in spiritual reality, we were co-crucified with Jesus. Take that home and just think about that word all afternoon. Co-crucified. And we are still in that state. The Greek tense here is the perfect tense. So you could accurately say, I am in the state of having been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live. The old me. The old I. The I that is a sinner that loves its sin. The I that was trying to justify myself. The I that was an enemy of God and destined for hell. He says, that I no longer lives. Not really. Not in the most meaningful sense. That I still has a zombie life, of course. We'll learn more about the flesh and indwelling sin when we get towards the end of Galatians. But the old me has been rendered virtually powerless by my co-crucifixion with Jesus. And now he says, Christ lives in me. I have resurrection life. We sang that this morning. And that more than conquerors. Resurrection life. I have the personal presence of the Son of God through the Spirit of God in me. I was not just joined to Him in His death. 
but I'm joined to him in his new life, and so I still live. The new I, the new me, I live by faith in the Son of God. I am living by faith in Jesus Christ. This is the dynamic that's at work in the life of every believer. I am trusting in Jesus Christ, and He is my life. I am trusting in Him daily. I am trusting in Him moment by moment. I have what we call here a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't live by faith in my own good deeds. I live by faith day to day, by faith in the Son of God. Everything has changed. Living by faith is not just nodding your head that some facts are true. Right? The demons believe, kind of mental assent, but they don't trust Jesus. Living by faith is placing yourself in the hands of Jesus and trusting your whole life and your whole eternal future to Him. It's trusting that you have been united to Christ and share in everything that He has. You know what that means? It means that when God the Father looks at you, He sees the righteousness of His own Son. I think that's part of why Paul calls Jesus the Son of God here. He doesn't do that all the time. Often it's Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus our Lord. But here He calls Him the Son of God because you and I are by faith united to God's beloved Son. So He can say to you, He could easily say, that person there is righteous. They are in my Son. My Son is in them. They were crucified with Him and He lives in them now. Think about how the Father feels about the Son. How He sees the Son. And when He looks at you and me who are in the Son, what He says, what He feels, what He declares is true. I don't think you and I disappear as persons in Galatians 2.20. Sometimes when you read Galatians 2.20, it sounds like we're just kind of taken out of the equation. I've been crucified and I no longer live. There's really no Matt Mitchell anymore. No, I don't think so. I, I don't think it's saying that we're now just some kind of glorified puppets. That Christ lives in us and, you know, Jesus is taking me over here. Now I'm going to do this for Jesus. No, I'm more alive. I'm more Matt Mitchell than I've ever been. Because I am now united to Jesus Christ. I am now living by faith in Jesus Christ who loved me and gave Himself for me. Did you catch how Paul uses the personal pronouns there? I love that. He doesn't just say, God loves everyone. Jesus died for everybody. He says, Jesus loved me. He loved me and gave Himself for me. For me. And that gift of himself was not in vain. Verse 21. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. You see that logic? I think I see that logic. Paul's saying, I am not going to budge on this gospel of grace. You cannot move me. 
I will not nullify the grace of God. I'm going to keep on preaching it until I die. I will not give in for a moment to the idea that we are justified by works of the law because if I did, then I would be saying that Jesus never had to die. Right? I mean, if I could get myself justified by simply obeying the Mosaic law, then why did Jesus have to come and die? He didn't. I could have just gone and done it on my own. How insulting that is to Jesus. This kind of teaching. Why'd you bother to give yourself up for us on the cross, Jesus? Thanks, but no thanks. I'll do it my way. Paul is saying, may it never be. He loved me. And he gave himself for me. I will not set aside the grace of God. Does that make sense? The application is obvious, I I hope. It's put your faith in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ alone. I know that all of this is familiar to you. I hope that it's familiar to you. This is the gospel that we are trying to preach here at Lance Free Church. This is the message that we're going to give to each day to the children, to the youth, and to the adults that come to Family Bible Week. I hope it's familiar. But it's not obvious, not to everyone. Most people think that the gospel is about being a good person. Go down to Phillipsburg this week, walk into McDonald's and do a survey. Ask them what it means, what it takes to be justified before God. So many people are going to say, be a good person. Keep the Ten Commandments. Do more good than bad. Go to church. Give your money. Do good things. Those are all good things to do. But by observing the law, no one will be justified. You've got to trust in Jesus Christ. You've got to trust in what He did on the cross when He loved you and gave Himself for you. So be justified by placing your faith in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. And then live that faith. Live by faith every single day. Because when you believe in Jesus, everything changes. Your relationship with sin. Used to be you were friends with sin, now you're an enemy. Used to be you were enemy of God, now you're His friend. Your relationship with the law changes. You're dead to the law. You're not under it anymore. Your relationship with God changes. You can now live for God. Because you have been crucified with Christ and no longer live. But Christ lives in you. The life you now live in the body, live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave Himself for you. Let's pray. Father, my prayer is that You're turning the lights on in somebody's heart right now. And they're seeing, maybe for the first time, that they need Jesus. 
They don't need their works. They're doing. They're trying to be a good person. They're working themselves up to you. That nullifies the grace of God and it it says Jesus' death is not necessary. Lord, I pray you would be turning on the lights in somebody's heart that they need to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Him alone. And you change everything for them both now and forever. Would you do that, Lord? And for those of us who are already there, help us to delight and relish it today. That we have been crucified with Christ. Co-crucified. And that we have been united with Him in life so that we now live by faith in the Son of God. And in fact, we live for God. Lord, would you impress that on our hearts so that the death of Jesus Christ is not in vain for us? We ask it in his name. Amen.